This is Sports Best on the Reposted Podcast Network, presented by Reposted. Reposted Podcast, your favorite podcast to listen to five days a week. <laughs> that was that was something. It's true. It is true. Larry, we are Sports Best. This is coming at you. Um, but what do you think? I don't know what we're doing. Let's let's just jump into it. What are we what are we doing today? What's well, on your just, radar, Larry? The big exciting thing that of course happened in the Olsen house was over the weekend we had the all-star game. Now, I feel like for the last three weeks or so-ish, maybe mainly just me, but I feel like you jumped in on poo-pooing the idea that the NBA should have an actual all-star game. We are in the midst of a pandemic. The Atlanta mayor, what was her name again? Something Lance Bottoms, Keisha Lance Bottoms, I think. That's right. She said she didn't want to have an all-star game, that nobody should go to the all-star game. It was held in an empty arena in Atlanta. Nobody wants the all-star game. Nobody, nobody, nobody. Is that, was that just me? Uh, I think people, Keisha Lance Bottoms said, I think very politically said, mm-hmm. don't come here to party. I don't think she was trying to stop it because it had to. And I think the main reason they had it was the players collective bargaining agreement says that it's required to be played. Like it's a money thing. I think players might've pulled out otherwise. So all that to say, lots of poo-pooing about the all-star game. Well, guess what? Got the family, the kids sat down at the TV on Sunday night to turn on the all-star game. And guess what? Everybody had a great time. It was so much fun. My kids were so into it. So were the players. It was so much fun to watch the players. Like I know all-star games are offense and nobody plays defense, but they were doing their tricks. Giannis Antetokounmpo had 35 points. He was doing all these dunks. It was so much fun to watch. Yeah. I mean, they had Damian Lillard and Steph Curry trading half court shots. Like it just, it's, I mean, it's fun to watch them do stuff that I can't, can't do. Um, but that it, it looked a lot like practice too. I'm talking about practice. I'm talking about practice, but the thing is, too, it's infectious, right? You think, well, the players have been complaining about not wanting to be there, and uh, they're not going to have a good time, but they're laughing. They're having a good time, so then everybody's into it. Before the game, we watched the three-point contest. We're from San Francisco, so Steph Curry's a big deal. He hadn't played since uh, he got upset a couple of years ago. He wins it on the last on the bonus money ball. He wins it on the money ball. And it was just so much fun, super fun. And then, of course, as you know, halftime, we were like, where's the dunk contest? They did a dunk contest right in the middle of the game. Anthony Simmons had the blowing a kiss to the rim dunk. I thought that was an amazing dunk, but watching it in real time and hearing the announcers, they took away from it a little bit. They're like, he, he should have kissed it. He should have put a mouth guard in and kissed the rim. I was like, you guys can't do that. I thought it was an amazing dunk. Um, do you think moving forward we should have the dunk contest at halftime or should they do a week of All-Star? Well, it's definitely, you know, I'm a practitioner of watching the All-Star dunk contest. And it's funner when there's more people in the stands. It's just more excitement and it's more buzz. The cameras are going off. It kind of was, I think they did it right this year to kind of just have it at halftime, shortened version. I wouldn't want to see that moving forward. I think they got it right this year. The thing about the dunks, which is really interesting, you almost have to see it in slow-mo to get the full effect. Like when you watch it oh, yeah. full speed, you're like, what just happened? And then you watch it slow-mo like, oh, he almost kissed the rim. Yeah. And I guess back to the front end of this story, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid had to miss because – 
their barber tested positive for COVID, which is like a potential near miss. I don't know what to call it. Like had they played and had COVID and got every all-star sick, that would have been very bad for the NBA. I mean, I think people would have lived, but just like not having any all-star for two weeks would have been a huge hit to the NBA. You know, it's always funny too, and you don't see it a lot, but what always throws my family off is that they sing Oh Canada before the game. And my family's always like, why are they singing a Canadian song? I just, it happens every once in a while. It's like, well, because there's the Toronto Raptors in the game. I just love that moment. My family's like, what's going on here? The Toronto Drakes? (laughs) The Toronto Drakes. I love the Drakes. Yeah. Well, a non-Canadian team has decided to pay Uh their quarterback Uh over four years, $160 million. And that's $126 million guaranteed. (laughs) I've said it before. Jerry Jones has a strange loyalty to his quarterbacks that is like, I am going to stick with you no matter what. He did this with Tony Romo. I think Romo got a hundred million dollar contract. Dak Prescott got a $66 million signing bonus. That's the highest signing bonus in NFL history. Just saying, hey, take this pen and write something down. I'm going to give you $66 million. That's a lot of money. My favorite part about this deal, I believe, is that next year he makes $75 million in one year. Yeah, and then $42 million over the, the next three, which is crazy. Well, you know, it's it's interesting in football than any other sport is that the that the salary cap is really hard, and I don't understand why teams more teams don't do this. Like, if the cap works next year to pay someone a lot of money, do that, and then it works out in later years. I don't understand why this doesn't actually happen more often. I mean, maybe this will be the future of it. It's like when when you set up rules, it takes whatever amount of time for everyone to figure out how to get around it. And so now maybe people are starting to realize this is a way to game the system. And we'll we'll probably see more of it moving forward. I would guess. I think so. You know, the interesting thing about this, you could argue that Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback in the NFL right now. He never makes in the top 10 as far as value goes for quarterbacks. And the reason is Dak's going to make a lot of money. He's going to suck up a lot of money that they can't spend for other players. Tom has always said, by the way, He's married a worldwide famous model, so she makes a lot of money. He, he never makes, makes a, a lot, lot more money than he does. Exactly, and so he doesn't need it. And so teams don't have the Patriots for, for years never paid Tom a lot of money, so they were able to spread that out and bring better players. I'm wondering with the Cowboys and Dak earning all this money, like are they not going to be able to spend the money to put a good surrounding cast around him? If I was a right-handed quarterback, I would say take $5 million out of my contract and give it to the left tackle. Get the best yeah. left tackle per protect my blind side because that's going to be a directing indication of how long your career is, is how good your offensive line is. So uh, he's taking the JJ Watt route with so he's getting paid. I don't think, I mean, the Cowboys have the money. I don't think Jerry Jones cares that much about $160 million to his quarter, but the face of his franchise, like they're going to get fans in, but like, I don't think this is the move to get them to win the Super Bowl. You need to get people like you're saying they care more about winning than they do about about getting paid. I'm you know, not, I'm just just on your first. Point, I'm taking the 160. I'm not taking the discount like Tom Brady. But I think as as far as talking about just the game in general, Dak Prescott, we, we're not going to see him hoisting the Lombardi Trophy anytime soon. Yeah, well, that's my point. Like if you're Dak, right, and you need a new left tackle, don't you go say like, hey man, I will give my five million back to get me a. I mean, 
what's the difference between 75 and 70 million dollars I don't know what that is monetarily but I do know that if the five million goes to a left tackle I can tell you what that means to a team yeah I've always heard stories well I guess I've heard like Troy Aikman tell these stories and I'm sure all quarterbacks do this is they buy their offensive line like ever they yeah. give everyone a Rolex or they give which is not really a big that's like me buying you a Timex like it, yeah it's, that's it yeah, huh? it's coming in the mail. Um, <laughs> the tracking number says it'll be here on Thursday. But it's just, I think the money, I don't know. I don't know the best way to handle it. I mean, there's two. There's the business side of it, and you have your agents who want to get the most money because they're getting 10% of it. So if an agent is getting $16 million because of this $160 million contract or 12.6 or 1.2, uh, like, they want to get the maximum. And so they're not going to say, give the money to someone else's agent. And so there's just so many other people, the greedy people are coming in, trying to get paid. It'll be interesting to see. I love this. Of course, we're going to be tracking the Cowboys anyways, over the next few years, what this huge contract in Dak Prescott means to their bottom line. As you know, you've mentioned this a million times, Jerry's not getting any younger. Certainly in the next four years, the prime years for the Cowboys to win a Super Bowl and him be able to remember it. So but I guess the good news is, I've said this on the show, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish is perennial, always going to win the national championship, and the Dallas Cowboys preseason are always in the top contenders to win the Super Bowl. Everyone somehow has convinced the media that the Cowboys are always going to be good, and maybe people will look at this. So let's see what happens preseason. I could be wrong. I My memory's not that great, but I do remember them sucking eggs this last year. I don't know. Was that Was that me? They did suck eggs, but remember we talked to Norm Hitchkiss, the <laughs> Hall of Fame radio, Texas radio host, that said, "Well, the Cowboys have it this year. They're saying like he was calling for them to win. <laughs> He's been doing sports radio in DFW for decades, and he is duped by the allure of Jerry Jones." Let's move on to one of my favorite holidays. It's not Festivus. It is not Thanksgiving. It is Iditarodus. You know, we do not talk about the Iditarod enough. It seems like we did last year. It only comes once a year. The race is going to continue on this year, even with the COVIDs going on. 47 mushers, the smallest field in decades. They're going to do all sorts of COVID tests. Also heard, uh, by the way, it started over the weekend on Sunday. There were 300 people there versus the typical 6,000 to start the uh, Iditarod race. For the first time ever, they're not going to race finish in Nome, Alaska. And they're not going to go 1,000 miles. They're only going to go 150 miles, as you know, along the Golden Loop Trail. Uh, they're going to go 850 miles. They, they cut 150 off of it just to – they're still doing like a long race. It's just 150 miles shorter. And typically right? speaking as they – I forget how long it is, like 30 days, whatever. I don't it's know It's normally 15 days. They would, they would get – they would – people would volunteer to give up their houses and cabins along the way. And that's where the mushers would stay. But because of COVID this year, all the teams are having to stay in tents outside of cities. So, I mean, it's hard enough to ride all day long on a dog sled and now you got to stay in a tent. I was thinking this, or maybe the tour de France might be the worst sport to get COVID in because COVID <laughs> attacks you the hardest from what I've heard is like when you're exhausted or sleep deprived, like in your health is not at its strongest you're up in you're up in Alaska. You're up in the cold, extreme cold, very little sleep. Your body's exhausted. Like this is if you get COVID at the end of this, like you're prime for going into the ICU 
versus like basketball, you play games and you're still exhausted, but it's not taxing like this. So, I mean, it's, it's the worst possible sport. Just as a minor pushback to that point, I'm just assuming all of the mushers in this thing are pretty tough hombres. If anybody could survive the coronavirus, it would be one of the mushers in the Iditarod. I'm not saying that it's going to kill them. I'm just saying that like they're primed to have it hit them harder than if they were yeah. well rested and sitting at home and got it. Uh, again, COVID, everyone tunes into this show for our takes on COVID. That's, <laughs> that's my speculation. I can't think of a worse sport to get COVID in. Than I think like mushers on their license plate say, I eat COVID for breakfast. That's what I think mushers have. It's a very that. long personalized plate, but uh, I think that's hey, Listen. <laughs> It's a sneaky story. I still haven't figured out how this segment works yet, but I sneak in stories. <laughs> you don't know that they're coming. Phil Mickelson has fallen out of the golf top 100 world ranking for the first time in 28 years. He was in the top 100 for a record 1,425 weeks straight, and he never hit number one. What do you think about that? That's crazy. I've 28 years in the top 100? Well, all I think about that is Tiger Woods. That's why, right? You mean why he never hit number one is because yeah. he was behind Tiger Woods? Yeah. Probably. Would you rather be number two and never hit number one and stay in the top 100 for 100 years or have a week at number one? Listen, man, I would take Phil Mickelson's life in like five seconds, dude. Dude never got to number one, but he's got more money than whatever. He's a great golfer. He lives a great life, dude. I would... Phil is living large, man. I feel like you want Phil Mickelson's life because he's an aggressive gambler and you love <laughs> You know, yeah, yes. Uh, yeah, you, you're kind of right. Yeah. Also this weekend, Royal Rory McIlroy, who was ranked number one, fell out of the top 10 and was replaced by Bryson DeChambeau, who won the Arnold, Arnold Palmer invitation. Since you snuck a sneaky story in, this is very exciting. This week, the golf is at the TPC, the Players' Championship, and they have the island. You know, it's the famous oh, yeah. over the water. Uh, our intern, me and the intern, always have a bet on how many balls total will go into the water over the week. So one person proposed the bet, like 47. Then you put five bucks down, and you say, like, either over or, or under. under. So that's the exciting thing going on this week. We always watch the balls get dunked into the water. I'm not sure if you will remember this, but like, what is it normally? Like, is it's it like around, around 40? 47. It's like, I feel like it's in the high 40s for yeah. the week. So that's like, you know, there's a lot of more golfers on Thursday, Friday, and then the field goes in half, and then it's Saturday, Sunday. So for four rounds, 47 balls go in. Can I go to the ringer.com and find that stat? Like, how do you even track that? You know, it's funny. The first time we ever did this, I was Googling out of the world, and it's not that. There's no great place to have ball tracker for the water. It's it's not a – they don't really keep great statistics on that. So, basically, Kirk's going to have to watch golf the entire time. He's no, going to no, have to they, watch all of it, they, and he has, he's got a, a steno pad, and he says, Alex, <laughs> mark one of the column. They, yeah. He's no, chain they keep smoking <laughs> cigarettes. <laughs> That's true. You know what? Good for the intern. He's got his kid working this thing for me. I love it. Well, child labor laws do apply. <laughs> Here's a feel-good story out of Indiana. This freshman, Landis Smith, he's six foot two, was born with no hands and no legs below the knee. And he is not letting that stop him 
by any stretch. He is on the basketball team. He plays baseball. This kid basically says, I dare you to tell me I can't do something. And he just does it. It's pretty amazing, pretty inspiring. I should get up and do something more productive with my life because Landis Smith is crushing it. You know, I, you, you read these stories. When I was growing up, Jim Abbott, who had one arm, was yeah. a pitcher for the Angels. You see these stories periodically. And, you know, you could argue with God about why there is deformities or whatever going on in the world. But certainly you see someone like this, who's a freshman in high school, <laughs> doesn't have legs, doesn't have arms, and is like, you know what, I'm going to persevere and play. I feel like those stories are there to inspire us to just go on a run just to stay in shape. I don't know. I feel like that's part of the reason there. People like right. this exist. Yeah, I mean, I guess so. I don't know how I would react to that type of adversity. I mean, he was born with it, which is like maybe better. I think having that happen to you later in life. I think I've told this story before, but when we were hiking in Colorado, we saw this woman with one leg and she was on crutches and she slow and steady was just going up the mountain. And by the time we were coming down from the summit, she was almost to the top. And she had a smile on her face the whole time. And it's like, you can, anyone can do it. It's mind over matter. Mind over matter. You know, and the other thing, too, about this story is it's always about, not just about this person, it's about the parents, the family, the community around. Like, it's not like this guy just gets to go on in life. Like, there's a whole support team that probably suffers and inspires and everything through the process with them. Yeah, I mean, I was reading that when he was three years old, they already had the prosthetics for him, and he's, like, been playing sports since he was three. Like, he was able to learn how to walk. So, I mean, also being grateful that we were born in this time. 100 yeah. years ago, you're not going to have prosthetics that have the carbon fiber that are light enough to be able to cut laterally. Uh, so, I mean, that's a, a nod to the scientific community. Just, you know, I hate to bring this up in – connection to this great story but i think about like you know at like 35 or 40 your eyes start going away you can't see anything like back in the old days we're in the serengeti man you're gonna get eaten by a tiger because you can't see anymore like that's the way the world's moving right or before penicillin you died when you were i don't know how old you were i mean life expectancy has gone up dramatically this is sports best and all of the best things early death that are coming up. I thought when you said that. Oh, this show is all over the place. UCLA softball is ranked number four in the country right now. They're the only team in the top five with a loss. And Tom Brady's niece is on that team. She went yard for the first time in her career, and Tom Brady tweeted a video of her home run saying that she is the most dominant athlete in the family far. Good so if you're Tom Brady's niece, do you want uncle famous uncle Tom to retweet you? Or do you want to stay below the radar? Uh, I mean, I guess it kind of depends on your personality. I think she would probably be like, yeah, let's bring a little bit of love to UCLA softball. I would not have Googled anything about women's softball today if Tom Brady hadn't uh, tweeted her. So I think it's good bringing awareness to the sport. No, you take that back. I guarantee you would have Googled some women's softball. You take that back. No, just women's lacrosse. I You're not a sexist. You would have definitely Googled stuff. <laughs> You're not a sexist, Andrew. I told <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. Did you, you watch the home run? She's a masher. Did you watch it? I did. The guy's calling it 
really there was probably students at UCLA. It really made me think of the kid that was said, boom goes the dynamite. It was a very choppy call. It was a very choppy call. I'm not saying that I could call a baseball game better than them, but I did not like listening to their call. It was it was choppy. So they're probably upset that Tom Brady retweeted them. I think Maya is probably like, hey, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. She's a freshman, and she's uh, playing at the college level, so good on her. I guarantee you're going to Google women's softball before we meet again. I know you are. I believe in you. <laughs> Sexist. I'm going to Google women's softball. You're going to take your saxophone out and go play on the street corner for a shuffle. <laughs> this has been Sports Best on the Reposted Podcast <laughs> Network. I'm Andrew Keller. He is Harry. <laughs> Shut up, everybody.